0: to where brains meet beauty hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base
1: Beauty Creative Agency. Hi Adrielle. Hi Jody, how are you? Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty Bouncer. This is your first one ever. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Our episode was so fun. Are you um nervous to be on air like this? Or are you okay? Um I feel pretty good about it. I was in show choir growing up so like I feel like I can perform. <laughs> Well, you did a great job walking through Text specs with Dr. Henry on our Instagram live. Thank you. She was great to work with. She is so nice. Um, I was really excited to have her on the show in our artistry theme because, you know, a um, dermatologist is so high in demand now. Like the SEDEX is the place to be and she has such a great point of view on it. And she shared so much and she was so honest with our fans.
0: Right. It was so exciting to listen to her because I feel like I have so many questions at like my age now about like my skin and treatments and if I should be getting Botox or not. So it was just awesome to hear from her.
1: And I loved listening to how influential other people and mentors have been in her career. So um, if you're navigating your career, whether you want to be a doctor or not, um, Dr. Henry certainly has great advice for you.
0: Right. Great information all over. Um, let's get into it. Our listeners are definitely in for a treat today. So without further ado, I'd like to present today's guest, Dr. Michelle Henry, and I hope you guys enjoy the show. Thank you. Hi everyone. This is Elaney, your executive producer of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Have I told you about this season's headline event partner? Beauty Connect is a hub of innovation, uniting decision makers and disruptors across beauty, wellness, and personal care. This year, there will be over 350 attendees and 50 industry-leading speakers. There will be opportunities to introduce and elevate your brand through gifting, a beauty and wellness spotlight, the Estee Lauder Company's Emerging Beauty Challenge, 25 hours of facilitated intimate networking, which is one of my favorite parts of the event. You get one-on-one time with people you really want to meet, and so many smart panel and keynote topics to learn from. Visit beautyconnectwest.com for more information and use our code BASE10 for 10%
1: off your registration fee. Welcome back to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Today, we have another guest for our artistry-themed quarter. I can't think of an artist more in demand these days than a talented dermatologist. I'm thrilled to welcome to the show, Dr. Michelle Henry. She's a board-certified dermatologist and an ACGME Fellowship-trained Mohs micrographic, reconstructive, and cosmetic surgeon. Her Instagram, at drmichellehenry, shows off her approach to aesthetic artistry, but also artistry and lifestyle across home design, time with friends, and travel. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you for the warm welcome. Well, um, I love aesthetics. It's a happy place. care is a happy place for me. And I'm thrilled to have you here. And when we thought of this artistry theme for this quarter, I really couldn't think of anyone who's really, truly, like I said, more in demand than a really talented derm, right? So we move through the world and we want to feel our best, and that's inside and out. And um, Finally, I think people realize the power of um, aesthetics.
0: Yeah, you know, aesthetics, I always say it's, um, I always tell them in my office, we're not allowed to use the word vanity, you know, because it's, it's coloring something that's so important and making it something frivolous. Um, because the way you, you, you look, the way you present to the world is so important. You know, when you feel good and you feel confident and you feel like your outside reflects what's going on inside, you're better in all aspects of your life. Um, so I don't believe that it's vanity. I believe it's an extension of our healthcare, you know? Um, it's a, it's a, a part of making sure that, you know, um, we feel good, um, on the inside and the outside. So, um, I, am aligned with you.
1: So, um, Dr. Henry, you know, this is a career journey show. So my favorite question is to ask, let's go back to the 11 year old Michelle Henry. What did you want to be when you grew up? So
0: by 11, I was already like completely wed to being a physician. Um, so I probably knew. I mean, there's really nothing else. I don't remember wanting to be anything else. I wanted to be a singer, but I wasn't gift, gifted in that category. Or I wanted to be a physician, and that was just it. Um, and I've stayed on that path. Um, it was kind of the perfect alignment of everything that I, I loved. I was curious. I liked science. Um, I liked art. I was really creative when I was little. Um, I liked leadership. I liked the, the idea of finding something new and, 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 and research in that way, even at a really young age. Um, And it all started when my mom, my mom was a nurse. And so I remember going through her nursing books and everyone else was grossed out. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, And then she did um, take your daughter to work day. I don't know if they still have that, but it worked. So she took me to work and I was with the nurses, but I saw this little huddle of doctors there and I wanted to know what they were talking about and what they were thinking. Um, And so she got them to give me a tiny little white coat and a stethoscope and that was it. It was one of the, like, I, I remember it as clear as day. I remember my little shoes that I was wearing everything about that moment because it was so impactful and it felt so right. Um, and, you know, I've been on that path ever since. So I, I've always been very clear about what I wanted to do.
1: Dr. Henry, when you think of that moment when you were at the office with your mom and you saw the group of doctors, what about that made you made to connect with your heart and your head that moment to be like, that's 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 me. That's where I'm going.
0: You know, to me, it felt like um, it was a group of people that were very invested in the patient. I could see that they were, um, I could see the furrow in their brow. They were thinking and concentrating their excellence to make sure that they gave good patient care. I wanted to help them crack the puzzle. I wanted to know what they were so invested in in their their huddle. I wanted to be a part of making things better in a very... academic way. And I think that I've always been someone who was always up for the challenge. Like even as a child, I gleefully took on challenges, you know, and, and that's what it represented to me. These, like these great minds coming together, trying to crack the code to make someone better. And in that moment, I couldn't think of anything else that
1: I wanted to be. So in your life, are you like a, 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 do you do puzzles? Are you the problem solver for your friends? Is that sort of the, the space that you occupy in your relationships?
0: I am definitely a problem solver. Puzzles, no, I don't have the patience for puzzles <laughs> uh, because I already know the solution, right? So that's not fun to <laughs> me. But, uh, <laughs> but I definitely am um, a problem solver for everyone. Um, oftentimes solicited, sometimes not, right? Um, but I, I definitely enjoy the challenge. I enjoy sharing my perspective. I enjoy learning from others, um, which I think part of being a problem solver is always being willing to learn and absorb other perspectives to make you better. Um, so I'm definitely, I've
1: definitely always been that. Um, let's talk about this idea of, um, in your role, artistry and science and, um, how much of your job is the science and how much of it is being an artist. Um, and I assume this depends upon the patient, the circumstances, but if you think about your career in general, what is that, how does that divide up?
0: yeah I think there 's artistry um, in aesthetic medicine and there 's also artistry in, in, in general medical um, care you know so you want to even when i 'm treating a, a patient an acne patient, I want to think about what makes them feel the best how do I present this in the best way how do I give them something that 's not only going to make their acne better but also take care of the, these other issues so I think that 's a form of art how do I present what i 'm Um, what I think is the best treatment plan for them in a way that is palatable to them. That's a different type of artistry, right? So I think there's always more than just the science. Um, But in aesthetics, that's a very clear, direct line, that it's very much artistry. And I love that aspect. And I love the aspect of the fact that just a few millimeters takes something from average to beautiful. Literally just a few millimeters. It's just a flicker of light changing the way the light reflects on the nose or the cheeks or the lip. It's literally just a few millimeters that can have a tremendous Um, outcome a tremendous positive impact on what we see and even psychologically what does that mean you know like one millimeter changes how you see someone i i just find i'm very intrigued by this idea um and because i'm intrigued by this idea i know the power in that syringe or that tool that i'm using Mm -hmm. um to really change the way someone walks through the world Um, so I think that the artistry part is never lost on me, you know, um, and I think about it with everything I do, even when I do hair transplants, you know, when we're thinking about how we make the hairline, what does that mean? What does a wider hairline mean? You know, everything we do is a communication to the world. Um, and that is just really profound and something that will always keep me very curious, um, and something that, you know, I will, I will never tire of fine
1: tuning my artistry in that way. When you're in this work, like the hairline is a good example. Can you visualize um, what the results would be if one millimeter this way, one millimeter that way? Is this something? Do pictures form in your head? Is that how you make these decisions?
0: Absolutely. I think if you can't do that, you probably shouldn't be doing it. (laughs) So I think it's very important that you have to have a very keen ability to like visualize things and visualize what those differences mean. And also be able to just absorb that everywhere. So, uh, you know, some of, <laughs> some of my friends are like, stop, um, you know, analyzing me. But I feel like <sighs> every day, not not in a bad way, but I'm always like seeing things. They'll ask me about something and I'll bring up all these things that I've noticed, um, you know, in my analysis. And they're like, gosh, I didn't realize you were absorbing that. But I think that it's really important that when I see a face, I'm absorbing. What does that mean? What does the, the cheek, the light hitting the cheek in that way mean? Um, that we're always absorbing this information because it really helps you make a very comprehensive picture when you're using your imagination, right? So you want to make sure that you have a rich, like, um, well of data to pull from when you're using your imagination to construct these images. But you absolutely should be able to do that. If you can't, you probably shouldn't (laughs) be in this space.
1: Right, it's like when, um, an illustrator moves to the world. They're just seeing, you know, they're seeing the light, the shadows, the edges. Right, like I don't, um, it, everything is broken down into into pieces, and then whole parts are formed, and then pieces again. Right, it's. Do you find it distracting? No, <laughs> I find it exciting. You know, being able to, um, I find it
0: exciting, and I find it, um, you know, sometimes a lot of people ask me. This is as an aside, like thinking about beauty all the time. Does it make you anxious about yourself? Does it make you critical of yourself? And it doesn't, you know, when you break it down into the elements, into the parts and you realize how there's no one type of beauty, you know, how, what I find beautiful today might be different on Friday. Even it just makes it a really interesting part of the human experience that there's so many variations and so many experiences we can have and create when interacting with other people. Um, so I don't find it overwhelming. I think it's, I think I'm still intrigued by you know how subtle things can make someone look completely different, um so I definitely don't find it tire- tiresome
1: as you were just talking about how there's like so many different ways that beauty shows up, it was making me think of you know those gorgeous gardens full of flowers and there's so many varieties of flowers, and the different flowers take different sizes and shapes and wrinkles and edges, and they're all beautiful, they're all different though that's sort of what um I was picturing in my mind as you were saying that.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's exactly what it is. Sometimes you don't want something that's like classically beautiful. Sometimes that's boring, you know, and the beauty is that we could be all of those things. You could decide to be striking instead. You could decide to be whatever you want. Um, And and that's I think a a lot of the beauty of what we do is that you get to make your own kind of beautiful and um, never losing fact of that losing the sight of the fact that it is just that it's your kind of beautiful and there's there aren't rigid lines and it really is whatever you make of it.
1: Um, okay, so let's talk about, um, you know, this career you started out, you know, wanting to help people problem solve. Did you know when you were in medical school, how big aesthetics would be in your career? I had zero idea.
0: I actually went into medical school thinking I would be a breast cancer surgeon. So my great aunt um, passed of breast cancer when I was about eight years old, um, seven, almost eight. Um, in her last six months of her life, we discussed everything, what I would be, Um, who I would date, how a lady like all the things. She gave me all the life in a constant accelerated course on life in six months, which I I thank her for having that tremendous foresight. Um, So that was it. I was going to be a breast cancer surgeon. And then I got to medical school and realized that um, being the tremendous empath that I am, it was very difficult for me. Um, And that, you know, I would have become like this, like, it would have been all that I could do. And it would have taken so much out of me. I wanted something that I could do that I could also um, cure patients and uh, enjoy life and, and, and have a wider emotional spread than like, you know, that I would have been forced to have. And I found Mohs surgery. And so Mohs surgery is a type of skin cancer surgery where you will um, cure the cancer, we read it, and then we reconstruct um, the defect that we create by removing it. So it was kind of everything I liked. I could cure cancer, I could talk to my patients, clearly I like to talk. And then there was the artistry of reconstructing the scar to make it something seamless and beautiful, um, as beautiful as scars can be, which they can be. Um, and so I didn't really fall into aesthetics until I was in residency, um, and I started to realize that it's not this frivolous thing that it's that it's life changing. That I can use it to help to reconstruct my scars, and I can use this like this uh, deep understanding of anatomy that I learned through most surgery to allow me to be creative with a lot of the tools and 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 um, uh, everything that's at our disposal: the lasers, the, the fillers, you know, understanding anatomy um, at the level that a mo surgeon has to understand anatomy really allows you to do some really awesome things. Um, and so, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't into it. And actually, actually I was hesitant. I thought to myself, am I going to use this deep investment in academics and just start only doing aesthetics? I was really hesitant to do it. And then I really learned how meaningful and how powerful it was for patients and how you're healing them in other ways. And I'm so happy that I went in that direction.
1: Can we talk about when you met mo surgery in medical school, um, was like, what what like section, chapter, I don't even know, I'm going to go to medical school. I don't know how this works. Like when do you meet it when you're in med school? I wasn't
0: seeking it out at all. It was just that it was destiny. My very first mentor. So they paired us with mentors our first year. And my very first mentor just happened to be a mo surgeon. It just happened to be who I got. And she was incredible. And I just thought it was just the coolest thing operating on patients while they're awake and uh, curing this cancer and seeing the cancer cells under the microscope and, you know, continuing the procedure until it's clear and closing them up and knowing the percentage cure rates and just thinking that, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever um, before I ever thought about dermatology. And so she said that, you know, this is a subset of dermatology. And so then I pushed and pushed and pushed and got um, dermatology rotations early because I wasn't supposed to get them yet. And I don't even know if it was a formal rotation. I remember I was just being, a, you know, a little stubborn med student. I got myself in and absolutely loved it, which I'm glad because with dermatology, you have to decide early. Um, and that was it. Once I sampled dermatology and just realized that dermatology is really all medicine. It's infectious disease. It's, uh, it's aesthetics. It's skin cancer. It's um, immunology. You know, We have all these bolus disorders. It's, it's everything. So if you love medicine, you can find your space in dermatology. It's, it's psychiatry. It's all the things. And so it was for someone who may be indecisive but knows they love medicine, maybe consider dermatology um, because it's really all the things in medicine there. And so I loved it.
1: How fascinating that it's about the people you're around in that moment, that this one mentor happened to have this expertise and you happen to be paired with this person. I mean, um, it's just so much of this like sliding doors, that Gwyneth Paltrow movie. I don't know if you ever saw that. Like, imagine you were paired with somebody else. Like you could be, um, I don't know, a foot surgeon or something. Like, <laughs> but- <laughs> A little, I don't know, I could have been in the ER, who knows? Um, <laughs> it's so fascinating to me, but I've heard this a lot from dermatologists that, um, many of the people I've talked to through the years, they don't enter medical school knowing that dermatology is where they're going to land. Um, and it's just the people they meet. Um, it's the conversations they have that, um, guide them to this. And I'm, uh, I'm so grateful that there's people like you who are active on social telling stories about their careers because like, why does it have to be chance? You know, like let's, you know, to, for people to be able to get a little bit of an insider understanding of what um, medical school looks like for dermatologists and what comes next in residency, how wonderful that they can get it without having to hope that they're paired with somebody great. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you mentioned infectious disease, and I want to tell you my son, who's a teenager, is a wrestler. So, um, you know, there's a lot of like gross <laughs> skin disease for wrestlers. And we've been, you um, Encountering that and navigating it. So I like smiles. really big. Hats off to you guys. <laughs> um, it com- it's, comes with a job, right? Wrestling comes with this, no matter how hard he tries to avoid it. Yeah. Um, and he works hard at his hygiene there, but it's just like, it's everywhere. So I want to talk about... Um, you know, procedures and treatments because you get to play. I mean, I've, you know, watched you on social. Um, I have friends who adore you and use you as their um, dermatologist. So I get to hear a lot of behind the scenes. Um, You must have favorites of all these um, different treatments and procedures. I know there's so many. Can you share a little bit about, you know, your career highs in terms of what you've been learning and what you love and you find to be incredibly effective for your patients?
0: so hard you know i know it sounds trite to say it's like choosing my favorite child but it kind of is you know like part of what i love about dermatology is that i can move from one room doing fillers to another room doing lasers to doing liposuction to doing you know um but let's see what do i really love i mean i love um attention to detail again i love the idea of just a few millimeters changing things dramatically um i love things that require precision which is why i like most surgery Um, So from an aesthetic standpoint, I love fillers and and Botox, and that's you have to be quite precise to do it well, to make it look natural, and to keep patients safe. Um, I enjoy the the lasers. I mean, a lot of things you could do to get rid of, you know, large disfiguring birthmarks or, um, you know, to help improve scars, or to just rejuvenate the skin, which is, you know, also as important, you know, um, based on the individual. So I love that. Um, I've been doing a lot of A lot of liposuction procedures which I've enjoyed, you know, a lot of tightening of the neck, which has been really great. Um I have um I have one patient who um she's doing lots of Zoom and she was getting like starting to wear scarves and she's like, It's it's the summer. How can I get away with like wearing these things? I I I can't do that. Um so you know, that was really gratifying to me to see her confidence. Um for her kids to see her confidence. She's leading a new team and um, you know, going back into the workspace and making a lot of, uh, making them feel confident. So I think it's, uh, it's so hard, but I think those are some of my favorites. I would say I do a ton of fillers and Botox, so those are definitely up there. Um, I do a fair amount of um, upper eyelid blepharoplasty, which I love. Again, it's moving that tiny sliver of skin, opens up the eyes, takes a decade off of life, and um, really um, improves that patient's confidence. So I, it's kind of like answering the question without answering the question, uh, but those are some of my top procedures.
1: Um, with the eye treatment, we're literally talking about a, like a millimeter of skin. There's like not that makes a huge difference, right? It does. It does. And
0: I do. I take a really conservative approach. Um, and so it's more than just a millimeter. Sometimes it's a few, um, but it's impactful. And it's that it's that thing that it's just those small changes um, that really make a big difference, a big um, positive was- difference.
1: So um, let's talk about the definition of success and how you measure success. This is a topic that um, I'm kind of obsessed and fascinated with because when I started my career, I thought it meant money right? and now change my perspective on it. And through this show, I get to hear a lot of different points of view. Um, and by the way, it's a, um, judgment-free zone, right? If it is money, that's good too. So, um, let's like, let's go back in time a little bit. When you were a resident, how did, what did you define as success for you? When, what, what was on your mind? Yeah. So
0: as a resident, you know, what was success as a resident? You know, you no, know, really like concentrating, massive, concentrating, massive amounts of information <laughs> that was success, you know, making sure you did well on your board scores. That was success, um, you know making sure your clinics ran smoothly that was success and i think there are there's like success as a resident there's a little area of overlap and there's a different um area that i consider success now that i've been working for many years so i think the overlap is um still always continuing to learn so as a resident i was always really excited when i got to learn new procedures or try new things or i saw a new case and i'm really grateful that that remains like when i see cool cases that feeling that you get when you're a resident, you're like, I've been wanting to see this for so long. It's still there. And so that lets me know I'm still doing the right things, that you're still really excited to grow in your space. And I think it's so inc- critical because I think the minute you get stagnant and the minute you think you know it all, you're now, you're, you're hurting yourself and you may be hurting patients because part of, and being a lifelong student is real. you know, you know, know. We're learning more. We're changing more. Medicine in 10 years has been a lot different from medicine today, you know? And so um, that's the overlap. So success still feels like being excited about learning new things and seeking them out proactively. Um, But now there's a new element of success now, I think. um, When I think about now working for many years and I just started a practice, um, I think success to me is also only doing the things that make you feel good, you know? there's so many um there are tons of procedures i could do There are tons of things i could do there are tons of things that i could kind of get myself involved in um but i think you're better at the things that make you happy you're better at the things that align with your core values you're better at the things that you know excite you in the morning um and that's we have many other doctors to do the things that are other specialists to do the things that maybe don't align with us fully and that's really for just the aesthetic space for the medical space, my goal is to treat every medical patient that comes here, and that excites me. But when we're thinking about like success in the aesthetic space, it's doing those things, you know, sticking to the aesthetic that feels good to me. You know, I'm never going to be the doctor that's going to give, you know, super super huge full lips um, mm-hmm. for someone who can't accommodate that, right? Um, and there, and I, and I judge, I don't judge anyone's aesthetic. You know, some someone finds us beautiful. There's things that I find beautiful that someone won't, but it's not what I do. Um, so I try to stick to those things that make me feel good, reflect my core values. And it's very much a privilege to be able to do that, because I know many people don't have the privilege to be able to make those diso- those decisions because of finances. You know, they have to make sure they're doing whatever they're, they're they're told to do. And I think success at this point is being able to have the agency and the freedom to do those things that feel good and align with your core values.
1: Can you give advice to any doctor listening right now or um, aspiring physician? How do you um, speak with a patient who's looking for something that's not, you know, it's not your aesthetic. It's not what you do. What, what does that process look like? How do you navigate that?
0: So I think that typically, um, if I, if a patient comes in and they want an aesthetic that's far outside of what I like, um, it's usually quite extreme, you know? So I talk to them about like, the best thing is that not to chase trends when we're talking about beauty, not to chase trends when we're talking about like, Um, your look or your aesthetic and find out why you like this, you know? But I think that sometimes you can pull people back and they can be a little bit more reasonable and they understand that sometimes when you're tracing trends, um, you can create damage. You can create damage that it's going to be really difficult and expensive to undo. So sometimes if it's something that's that wildly extreme, I can reason with them. If I can't reason with them that I find someone who's, who I think is more aligned with their aesthetic, but will still do it safely. Right. Um, But I think for the most part, Patients just wanna look good. And sometimes you have to like orient them to, to realize what looking good is and make them understand that when you're just micromanaging features, that doesn't mean you look good. You can have the perfect lips and still look terrible, you know, because it's all whatever perfect lip means, because it's all about harmony. And it's all about working with your own natural foundation and your own natural proportions uh, and doing something that looks of nature, right? Because I always tell them like kids know that things don't look of nature. Like you don't have to be an aesthetic dermatologist to know that this is not within the range of what we see in the world. And this looks, um, humanoid or like what we say, the uncanny valley, you start to look like that, you know, we want to keep you within what works good for your proportions or your foundation. Um, so I think that I often, I often have to, um, kind of reorient them a little bit. But for the most part, most patients will kind of come in line. So I think it's just about conversations, education, patience, um, listening to them, really listening to what they want. Um, because sometimes they're saying one thing, but the core is something else. So taking the time to really dive in deep and, and figure out what they're looking to attain is important.
1: So that's the therapist side of this business, right? So right. That
0: is the therapist side. And that's, that's a part, that's a big part of the business with everything that we do. There's so much, dermatology and um, psychology and um, overlap. I, I was actually really interested in the psychiatry as well, um, but I, I like this. Um, and your world is really just what you perceive it to be, right? That is your reality. Um, and a lot, we see a lot of that in dermatology. And so there's a lot of having these conversations and managing patients and having them see things in a healthier way.
1: You know, it's interesting because I'm imagining that a patient will come in with a picture of someone like a celebrity, or, you know, someone notable and say they want this, but um, what you're uncovering is that th- they want something, but it might not actually be that, right? It's just a point of reference. It's the only language they have, right? Is a photo. So they may see
0: someone and they say, I want to look at like this person because this person is the most popular person that's around. This is the person who's on every tabloid, but this is not a face that is even close to what they can attain, right? So let me hear what you're saying is that Maybe you want some aspects of this, but you really want to look good in your skin. You want, to, you want to feel cool. You want to feel young. You want to feel fresh. So I try to just listen to their words and listen to their language and have them describe what it is they like about this person, their look. But overall, why this person? You know, why this specific person? And sometimes when you're pooling all of that information, you can come to a nice, fair meeting place that will make them look good, feel good, but also um, stay within the bounds of what is of nature. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's um such a, an exciting process probably to be a part of, to help guide someone through this because it's so abstract, right? To someone who's not a physician, um, you know, maybe they're feeling, um, you know, sensitive about a certain area, but there's no, they don't have the language for it. They don't, they're not able to, um, and you also don't want them to tell you how to do your job, right? And so it's almost nice and sweet that they come to you with this sort of outsized expectation or outside request and you can help um, refine it for them.
0: Yeah, and I think that, like, when people say that, sorry, um, when people say, like, don't tell me how to do my job, I really don't, I mean, they can tell me whatever, I'm going to do my job the way I do my job, you know, like, so I don't mind, you can instruct as much as you like, uh, because your instruction lets me know what you're passionate about, you know, so I don't mind them giving me the long laundry list, and I want this and I want that, because I want you to do that, and I'm going to tell you how to get there, you know, I'm going to tell you how we actually get to what you do. You tell me what point A is, and I'll tell you what the path is between, you know, where um, point B is, and I'll tell you the path, but I wanna know what your destination is. And you can tell me in as many details. I have very little ego when it comes to that. I just wanna accumulate all of the information so I can get you to that point.
1: So um, let's talk about content creation, right? Um, being a dermatologist is not always just about being um, you know, a physician. Sometimes it's about stories to tell and to a much wider audience and you do a beautiful job of that, but that takes time, right? And focus. So, I'm deeply curious about how you organize your time, how much of your time you actually put into um, sharing your passions and your point of view with the wider audience on social media. Yeah.
0: So, I just opened my own practice. I've been practicing now in the city about 10 years, a little over 10 years now. Um, But I just opened my practice, I think we made a year and a half a few weeks ago. Um, And so, I've been thinking more and more about how to manage my time. So when you're, well, now that I'm in private practice, it's a lot harder to like spontaneously create content uh, or do things to, to manage social media. And so I'm learning about delegation, right? So bringing on teams that are aligned with your vision to help you create something that um, is meaningful to you. So that's something that I'm working on. Um, always checking in with myself. You know, like I've learned that I had to, you know, I think physicians and all of us high achievers, We're type a individuals we are we see a challenge and we become gleeful when we see a challenge i have so much difficulty saying no you know i always we like to post things like no is a complete sentence you know (laughs) but it's so hard to do that because there's so many people you love and who've invested in you over the years and you want to support them you want to make your patients happy but learning to to use that no has has definitely been um something that's really important to me um, and also scheduling my time out of the office in the same way I schedule my time in the office. So scheduling my, uh, my social time on my calendar, making it sacrosanct in the same way that I do my patient visits and my meetings and my advisory boards and all these things, because it's so easy to lose yourself, you know? And I think in the beginning of the process, starting my practice, I kind of did. I was, I woke up and I was like, wait a minute. I'm in the office for 16 hours a day, seven days a week. <laughs> and then I'm still working when I get home, you know? Um, and so like, it's, it's easy to do that. But if you don't take care of yourself, you can't do good for others. And so that thought has definitely made me, you know, I want to do this for a really long time. I want to be the, the brightest, you know, uh, most cheerful doctor when my patients come in. I want to avoid burnout at all costs. And I think you, you can't do that passively. You have to do that aggressively um, and intentionally. Um, and uh, to really make sure you you protect yourself so you can help people.
1: So um, this idea of saying no, um, I used to not do it either, but now I love doing it. It makes me so happy. I don't know that I say like, it's not no, period, but it's um, this work isn't the, you know, is, wouldn't it be the right collaboration for us um, and giving some advice or not now and things like that. Um, and it's so empowering to know what your block box is, right? To know, like, this is either the time I have or the focus I have, and this is the energy that I can contribute. And when I'm tapped out that, you know, like to be able to be honest with yourself, it's it's such a gift.
0: It's a gift. It's it's a process. Um, it's it's hard to do because I think we want to believe that we can do everything, you know? Um, we want to believe like, oh, I've encountered challenges before and I'm good at challenges. Challenges, that's what I do, you know? But I think it's a point where we all have limits. And I think um, it's humbling to to understand that. But it's also empowering to know that in understanding my limits, I can be really good at the things I'm good at.
1: Okay, so how did you get there? Did you work with a coach? Was it talking to colleagues? How did you get to this place where you felt really at ease? Um, because, you know, starting your own practice, I'm sure is a place where there isn't always um, serenity. Yeah,
0: um, I got there through trial and error. <laughs> you know, I didn't have a coach that might've been really useful. But it comes through just, I, I think one thing that I did do is kind of check in with myself pretty often and say like, how are you feeling? Why are you feeling so tired? Are the things that you're doing making you happy? You know, you created this practice because you wanted a place where you felt like your, your patients were safe. You can create an experience that really reflected what you wanted to give them. And you wanted to be happy. You know, you wanted to have your workplace feel like your home where you can do your best and feel your best. And when you're losing that, that's counter to everything you've worked so hard to create. Um, so when I started to feel that, I had to ask myself, okay, I've got to try to to make sure that I I, I I pull back and figure out how we stay on the right path. And so it really was just trial and error figuring out those things that fed me and made me feel good. Those challenges that after I um, got over the challenge, I felt good on the other side. I didn't just feel like check mark I accomplished that, but I felt like that was a challenge worth taking on. Um, and it, and it, and it's okay to um, to demand that you you feel good about what you're doing. You know, I think a lot of us. Um, especially high achievers, um, and whatever space we're in, we're wed to this idea of, you know, delayed gratification and suffering for what you want. And, you know, like, that's what we do. That's where we shine. And to us, that's how we attain success, but you can't do that forever. And so you have to decide at what point in your career are you going to say, like, this is what I love to do. And how do I protect this by being my best self? And I think that I kind of got to that point and said, you know, how do I protect this thing that I love by making sure I'm healthy and happy and I can do it for a really long
1: time. You mentioned um, making time on the calendar for personal time, um, just like you do for work. And I need advice. I need some help. <laughs> um, and it's really mostly about friends. Like I'm really great about it with my family, but I just don't do it. I'm like, you know, I've I know a lot of people, but I only have a very small close group of like friend friends, tight friends. But I don't make an effort. You know, um, and I want to. Like I crave it. I miss it. Um, what advice can you give me? To help me here
0: i could say that too i did that as well especially when i first started to practice and one day i looked up and i was like where are my friends <laughs> what, what did i do um and i think you just have to like proactively schedule so you know i have lunches planned with my friends a month out and it seems silly but if i don't do it a month out i'm not going to see this amazing person who i love you know and it's just about making sure that you know it changes you know friendships change as we get older but i think what doesn't change is that uh, people understand that you're invested in them and that you're that they're important to you. Um, and I think that in order to keep our friendships, a, I, I just I get fed by just spending time with my friends. But I also want to communicate to them that they're important to me. And so I have to st- structure it. So I, I, I plan lunches a month out. You know, I plan weekend trips two months out and I, I put it on my calendar so that, you know, I don't schedule things over it. And so it, maybe it's not as spontaneous as it used to be, but it's not less meaningful. You know, it's something to look forward to. Um, and it's a way to communicate that I love you, I care for you, and I want you in my life. And I think we so it's so easy to overlook that and allow everything else to become a priority. Um, when I think at the end of our days, we're going to think about, of course, all the things we did, but we're going to think about our loved ones. Um, and I try never to forget that.
1: I love this advice. I will do it. You know, it's um, it's been, uh, I guess... The early years of my business has been 15 years now. Maybe they're all early years, who knows? But, um, you know, just it was about survival, (laughs) I guess, is really the the way to say it. And now that I'm not in survival mode anymore, I want to, yeah, go out for fun dinners and have fun weekends. And um, I just can't make it happen. And I think it's because I haven't been treating it like all these other important appointments, right? Like I plan out my mammograms, right? Well in advance and my dental appointments, and these are important to me. And um, if I if I have to do this with a friend six months ahead of time, just like with the dentist, well, that's what I guess I'll do. Um, whatever it takes because I miss it. I crave it and I want more of it. And
0: it, and it gives you something to look forward to. You know, I have a, a spa date coming up in maybe five weeks and I'm so excited about it. You know, I haven't seen her in a while and it's, you know... It's
1: nice, it's something we both get to look forward to and you don't lose those connections. I love it, thank you for that advice. My last question in this part of our interview is about um, the seduction of success, which is also a favorite theme of mine. When I started this business, uh, well, the podcast is a side hustle. When I started my main job, Base Beauty, um, I always dreamed of like one day, Women's World Daily writing about my agency. And then it happened, and I got a little taste of that. And then I wanted more and more and more. And it's just like the way I am with like cookies or candy. It's like I have one. I'm the and same, one same person. <laughs> the same so, like, I'm curious about your experience. Like, now that you have your own practice and you're building this business in your name, um, are you seduced by success? Um,
0: yeah, you know, and I see Julia just put a a really great quote here. Let me scroll down. She said, work will not sustain you when you retire friends. Um, And that's really true. And I do get very seduced by success. And it's like, and it's almost like the, I think my friend calls it like the competency curse. You become good at something (laughs) and you keep getting, you keep getting more opportunities. You keep doing more, you keep doing more. And it's almost becomes a curse because it's like your competency is keeping you from doing other things, you know? um at a point right in the beginning of your career you want all of that but at a certain point you have to ask yourself what is it worth what am i am i at a certain point am i succeeding so other people can say she's successful or am i succeeding because it feels good to me and it feeds me and it's it's aligned with my values and it's something that i'm proud to tell my family about and i think at a certain point you have to um decide if you're just making check marks or if it's meaningful um and that's a personal conversation but at a certain point, there are only so many check marks and accolades you can get unless they're meaningful to you. And so I think it's just about checking with yourself, knowing that you don't have to win every award. You don't have to dance. I think one of my um, one of my uh, uh, mentors told me and I was like, I have to do this. I'm doing this. I'm speaking here. And she's like, you can't dance at every wedding. and <laughs> That's OK, you know, um, but be there for the things that are most important to you. And I think really strategically and intentionally um, creating your path every year, deciding these are the key things that are important to me. Maybe I was, I burned myself out last year and these are things that are low yield and I'm not doing that. That's okay. I'm not going to have FOMO or whatever phrase we want to use now if I'm not going to do that thing. These are the things that are highest yield and really treating your time as if it's as sacrosanct as it is, you know, um, and getting the highest yield from it. Because at the end of the day with any business, we want to work smart, not hard. Um, and in doing that, that's, that's not just from a financial standpoint. It's also from an overall health standpoint, you know, what's taxing on your body, what's taxing on you mentally um, and just making sure that you're working smart in all avenues and figuring out what's the highest yield.
1: You're painting so many awesome pictures with my head for me that I'm going to like really sit with and enjoy. And this whole idea of yield is making me think of when I um, grow my garden in the summer, I stopped planting broccoli. Like, why would I take up all the space with broccoli where like a head grows and then that's it, it's over. It takes up so much space. So, so like a zucchini is like, and eggplant, they're, they're just so voluptuous in the offerings, and that's what we are in our life too, right? Like focusing on the things that have high yields. Yeah. And another garden uh, analogy, I'm not a
0: gardener, but my mom's a huge gardener. It's also pruning, you know? It's like you have all these little vines and things. Maybe it's a poor analogy, you'll tell me, but it's also just streamlining, you know, getting rid of the accessories and, and the weeds that are just taking up space, you know?
1: Yeah. The weeds are sucking that sun when the vegetables I'm trying to eat need that. Okay. This is so much fun, Dr. Henry. I'm grateful for all the stories and the depth of learning about um, your career and your journey. Thank you so much for joining. You've been our 218th episode. This is super exciting. For our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Dr. Henry. Please subscribe to our series on your favorite podcast app. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast.